Oh my goodness, it is that time again for a closer, more analytical look at the week's top news stories with our roundtable, and it has already begun as they sat down. Well, so let's introduce you first and get right to it. So on the roundtable today, Mark Caputo, who covers Florida politics for Politico and writes the daily Politico Florida playbook. Melba Pearson is the deputy director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Florida, and before that was an assistant state attorney in Miami-Dade. And welcome aboard Nelson Diaz, chair, chairman of the Republican Party of Miami-Dade County. He's also partner at the lobbying firm Southern Strategy Group. I say also because that's probably your first Multiple, job, right? My real job. <laughs> Good welcome. So, so Melba, glad you're with us. Hi, everyone. Good, Good to see you, Nelson. Good to have you back, Mark. Uh, have you as always. All right, Mark, let's begin with you. The, the governor's race certainly is coming into sharper focus. We saw a, a new poll on Friday, the C poll. Which certainly, as far as I'm concerned, even though Levine's up by allegedly three points, I mean, they are still grouped very tightly together. They are. I, I like uh, Tom Eldon, who conducted that poll. It is a little bit of an outlier. Most surveys show Gwen Graham nursing a lead of anywhere from three to eight, six points. Right. So the best bet right now is that she is actually the front runner in the Democratic race. The election, though, is Tuesday. There's a boatload of ad spending you're seeing on television in this media market mainly from Levine and from Green, not from Gwen Graham. Yeah. Her silence in one of the largest media markets for the biggest concentration of Democrats right. might prove to be unwise. Let me just say the election is Tuesday, August 28th. Good point. Right. No, not yeah, vote early and vote off. <laughs> <laughs> Although voting is underway, underway right now. You know what, um, what I, I thought when we were talking to Andrew Gillum, you know, in most polls, and I don't know about this last poll, but in most polls, he has not broken the 10%. And you watch him at debates. He is dynamic. He's very progressive. He's got a huge following. Melba, why, why do you think he has not really bubbled to the top? That's a good question, Glenna. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I don't know if it's a matter of name recognition, but one of the key focuses for me, especially as a as an attorney and from a civil liberties perspective is to really hear the viewpoints on criminal justice reform because this next governor is going to be at the forefront of voting rights, um, has to defend against a legislature that has proven to be somewhat anti-women and anti-choice. So all and of those clemency, things are clemency. clemency, amendment four coming up on the ballot. So I really want to hear more about criminal justice reform from all the candidates. I know Mayor Gillum has come out a lot with regards to that as well. I believe Chris King has made made some comments yeah. with regards to his platform against mass incarceration, but a lot of the other candidates have been silent on this, which I'm finding a bit perturbing. Nelson, I want you to know you jump right in anytime <laughs> I hear you breathing. You know, Melba uh, just talked about an anti-woman, anti-choice legislature. I'm guessing you might have something to respond to that. Look, our legislature is, is a conservative legislature. We're pro-family. Um, we, we are a very pro-family legislature, so I, I would disagree. I mean, a good number of, of the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate are, are women, so the idea that the Republican leadership is anti-women is absurd. It's the the uh, president pro temporate of the Senate is a, Repo a Republican woman from Miami-Dade, Anita Flores. Uh, Representative Jeanette Nunez is the Speaker pro tem of the Florida House. Yeah, but but every, every session there seems to be another anti-abortion bill or another bill that's restricting a woman's right to choose. So. I view that as somewhat anti-woman. Well, you view that as anti-woman. I view that as not killing babies. And so that's a little, there, there is that debate. And, and certainly Republicans are, are uh, generally pro-life. All you right, know, well, a, if we can't, I, I beg your pardon? You have it. <laughs> I, I've got the con. All right, and Nelson, let me ask you to come back to a point. I thought a good point that Glenna made, speaking to Andrew Gillum, 
which is you are consciously running to the left, a progressive, it's the new euphemism these days. Uh, do you think if he should win the nomination, it's kind of a long shot, but if he should, uh, do you think that the voters of Florida, who elected obviously Donald Trump, do uh, you think that they could go for this kind of uh, left-center message? I don't think so. I mean, I think Andrew Gillum has gone a little bit too far to the left um, to be mainstream in Florida. Um, and so I think some of his policy, some of the stuff that he's promoting is, is probably too far left in Florida. Medicare for all? Yeah. You know, the, um, the, I think the essential question for all of the Democrats that we've interviewed, Mark, is you have a Republican legislature in Florida. What can a Democrat governor hope to get done? Well, they can hope to have a lot. What can they realistically expect to get done? It depends on what they want to get done and how much they're willing to theoretically or uh, symbolically burn the house down. You're a governor, you have line item veto, you can veto the entire budget, you can veto all the legislation. So if you are a Democratic governor and you're dealing with a Republican legislature, you're going to have to be willing to shut it all down to get right. one or two things you want. And there's this bizarre thing in the Florida Capitol or in Washington where the more power you have and the more desire you have work in inverse proportion to each other. If people know what you want, they hold it against mm -hmm. you. Is that the Caputo theorem? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's how it plays out in the legislature. That's why I'm Mark's like actually right. I, I would agree with, with, with that analysis. Yeah, it would, I'll tell you what, having a Democratic governor and a Republican leadership would really lead to considerable chaos in Tallahassee, and some people may like that. Chaos or paralysis? Uh, a little bit of both, I think. I think you'd have some, some chaos, some attempts to override vetoes. I don't know if they'd get it, but they, they could try. Um, and I think it would, it would create a lot of paralysis as yeah. well. Melba, we have heard the, the battle cry, the year of the woman. We've heard that in a few years. Right. But uh, in this governor's race, obviously, Gwen Graham is the only woman. Uh, she always says on the stump, you know, uh, you'll notice I'm a little different from the other four candidates who are running. I'm a mom. I've been a PTA Gwen president. and the men. Yeah. Gwen, Gwen and, the and the men. That's uh, awesome. I mean, is that going to, I mean, be a big difference? Or do you think that women are responding to the fact that she is, I'm not putting aside her qualifications. I mean, she's really very well qualified for the job. But do you think that uh, the fact that women, that, that women will vote for her? I think that is going to hold a, a certain amount of sway amongst women voters. But again, I mean, I always caution everyone to look at qualifications. Um, we have seen a rise of women candidates across the country right. and women being successful in attaining office, which I think is wonderful. But also we can't put aside qualifications and making sure that whatever our best interests are, are being addressed by that candidate. Yeah, but Mark, it, it, the other thing, the, the knock on Gwen Graham is that she is too moderate and not very exciting. Well, I think it's, so far we've had a few cases of progressive candidates who don't get through Democratic primaries in Florida. Bernie Sanders got whipped 64 to 33% right. by Hillary Clinton. Right. Alan Grayson lost the U.S. Senate Democratic primary to Patrick Murphy. I am not seeing this evidence that the Democratic Party is as far left as a lot of progressive activists say. However, I also do believe you gotta have your base, you gotta have them excited. This is the first race in five that Democrats have not nom nominated a centrist white Tampa Bay Republican. Right. However, they now have a centrist white <laughs> Tallahassee Republican. So I think it, if she does get through the primary, Gwen Graham will feel a lot of pressure to have a running mate and more than likely an African-American candidate. Uh, the, the favored so far among a lot of people is Chevron Jones from Broward County. He's a state representative. 
he, he would probably be a good choice, but we'll have to see them win before we know. Quick break, and we'll be right back with more Roundtable. Stay tuned. And we are in the midst of a rockin' roundtable. Nelson <laughs> Diaz, chairman of the uh, Miami-Dade Republican Party. Let me ask you, a new poll came out Friday in the Republican side of the governor's race. And uh, not surprisingly, but uh, I was a little taken aback. It showed that Adam Putnam, who had led for most of it until President Trump endorsed Ron DeSantis, it showed DeSantis 40 Putnam 38, which is within the margin of error. Is Adam Putnam kind of, are people reconsidering and, and going back to him? Well, I don't know if people are going back to him, but I think there was a large chunk of undecideds. Yeah. And I think as you get closer to the election, naturally, those undecideds start to break one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that poll is 100% accurate. I mean, I guess we'll see on election day, right? It's, it's an outlier. It sounds like it's yeah. not. It, yeah, it, it is, is, is somewhat all the other polls showed a, a larger number, but but that doesn't mean that it's not going to narrow as you get closer to the election. That's sort of a natural. Now, that being said, voting has been going on for two, three weeks now uh, through early voting and through absentee ballots. So it's catching up. You want to catch up three weeks ago, yeah. not a week before. And as a matter of fact, Mark Caputo writing the Florida political Florida uh, playbook, uh, you have pointed out that, in fact, uh, Republicans are voting at a much higher rate uh, in absentees than Democrats. Right, they are. And Republicans... If you look at all the surveys, especially pattern primary Republican voters, they love President Trump. So President Trump endorsed Ron DeSantis at the yeah. beginning of uh, absentee voting, or kind of right in the, the right. middle of it. And Adam Putnam has done nothing to make his case to Republicans to choose him, except for the fact like, oh, this isn't an apprentice show, I'm experienced. I just can't see how Adam Putnam is closing the gap, but it's possible. But as polarizing as the president is... And He's not polarizing for Republicans. Well, well, okay, let me finish my question. Sorry. Okay, so as <laughs> polarizing as the president is, comma, what does that say when you get to the general election when people who are diehard president supporters will vote for someone who is Republican, DeSantis, or Putnam? But what about the third of the independents who you know, maybe moderate, want a moderate, want somebody who can bridge gaps. What, what does that do in the general? A lot of people are registered as NPAs because they're not political animals. That is no party affiliation voters. And I've come to witness enough midterm elections and presidential elections in Florida to say, you need your excited base with you. And if you're counting on independence to carry you over, you're going to lose. Even mm -hmm. in Florida. No, well, so, so far it's been the case. The yeah. idea that independents or NPAs are all moderate, it's not necessarily true. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of NPAs that register NPA because the Democrats are, are too far right for them or the Republicans are too far left for them. Yeah. And there's a lot, I mean, there's some that are moderate, but a good number of them are decidedly Republican or Democrat. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move on to the Senate race because I think some... Fascinating things are, are going on there. It's really not on the August 28th ballot, even though Rick Scott and Bill Nelson have opponents, but they're going to win that race. Uh, Melba, the Miami Herald today ran runs a really fascinating story. Mary Ellen Klaas, great reporter, uh, about Governor Scott and his wife Ann have invested $3 million in the parent company of Brightline, uh, which now wants to run a build a rail line from Tampa to Orlando. This is the rail line that Governor Scott, early in his term, first term, turned down $2.4 billion from President Trump. Now he's investing in this, and according to Mary Ellen Klaas, they've already made $150,000 off their investment. I mean, it just seems, frankly, hypocritical. 
there's definitely some transparency concerns when it comes to this aspect. There's no question about that. But another thing I'm concerned about in this race is the role of blue algae. Because if you remember, uh, the ACLU of Florida came out with a report about how blue algae was extremely toxic, causing cancer, and this administration hadn't been taking the steps to warn all residents equally about these dangers. So if this administration was not putting the safety and the health of all Floridians first, can we expect more of that in the Senate? That, so, I mean, this is, this is a life and death situation. That, that, that's an interesting question, and, and the toxic algae bubbles up right for the election time. I mean, more, more topically to, to Michael's question about What's interesting is this blind trust that the governor has, Mark, that he keeps going back to. I don't know where my money is. I don't know what we're investing in. That's fair. But how, you know, it seems almost weirdly coincidental that the things he's investing in are sort of the things that now are on the public policy plate for the state. Well, if you look through his investments, it is, he's invested in almost everything. And this being the third most populous state in the nation, it might be no surprise. There is a timing difference between him saying no to high-speed rail and him investing in Fortress, which is the parent company, mm -hmm. All Aboard or mm -hmm. Brightline. But nevertheless, you're hitting on the fact that, and this is true for Jeff Green, who's also a billionaire, or Philip Levine. You know, if you're a multimillionaire with lots of investments that could look as if there is a conflict, a blind trust is never truly blind. Liquidate your holdings, put it in a money market or a thousand money markets or whatever, and move on. You'll avoid these conflict problems. Otherwise, you're going to have them. I mean, the idea that he's intentionally investing in, in things that are, it's absurd. You, uh, a man that's worth tens and tens of millions of dollars, not going to, $150,000, it's just not, it, it's absurd to think that he is intentionally um, investing in things that he's, that he's working on as governor. It's, yeah. just, it's just not, it, it's a good story for Democrats to play, but it's not accurate. Which well, makes sense. it's a good story for the Miami Herald to play. I mean, honestly, like $150,000 is a lot of money to most people, to <laughs> Rick Scott. It's you know, you might find it in the cushions in the couch, but... Uh, you know, we need to make some money on a commercial right, right. quick, so we'll be right back. <laughs> this week in a Broward courtroom, a circuit judge kind of laid into Mark, um, the Sun Sentinel, its reporters, its attorney for reporting something that was hugely in the public interest about the killer at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and we learned a lot. But uh, yet the reporters are right now maybe held in contempt of court for what they reported out of the files. Yeah, the reporters might be held in contempt of court by a contemptible judge presiding over that court, Elizabeth Scherer. I mean, it, it was a joke, although it wasn't funny, the way Judge Scherer chastised the Sun Sentinel for telling the truth about a, a likely uh, mass murderer and didn't understand the protections of the First Amendment. You know, Broward has really distinguished itself by having a number of completely incompetent people involved in the Parkland shooting. Add Judge Elizabeth Scherer to the list. All right, if we can, let's put a quote from Judge Scherer up on the screen so you can see what Mark and we all are talking about here. Here's what uh, Judge Scherer said to the attorneys for the Sun Sentinel. From now on, if I have to specifically write word for word exactly what you are and are not permitted to print, and I have to take the papers myself and redact them with a Sharpie, then I will do that. It, would, it sounded better than the original Russian, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, it's just like the Stalin uh, of the court. This is absurd. Well, the, the issue is there was a, a file that by law the school district had to redact. It was a student's file. 
and they did, but they failed to do it properly. And so it became a public record by virtue of being in the public. Um, Ms. Lawyer among us, I mean, is something in the public venue is completely reportable for a news organization, is it not? Absolutely, I mean, there's a three-pronged test for the First Amendment. First of all, was the information obtained legally? Yes. Is the information Check. truthful? Check. And is the in is the information in of great public interest? And check, check, check. Yes. This is a question for the people to know whether or not their public officials fell down on the job when it came to the safety of students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And look, I get it. I mean, there has to be a balance between the privacy rights of the students who have been affected and, you know, making sure that the shooter gets a fair trial and doesn't have a tainted jury. But that does not allow the judge to then gag journalists in violation of the First Amendment. Well, that, that's kind of an interesting point to bring up because what was in that file was the fact that the school district employees failed this guy repeatedly. in, in repeatedly. mental health. So wouldn't mm -hmm. that play into giving him a fair trial? The school district is 100% liable here. They failed to properly redact the documents that they were supposed to redact, and I think the contempt lies on them, not on the reporter. Exactly. And then, we're not even a party. And then the, beyond that is the, the way the Broward system has just gone out of its way to protect itself and attack the press is absurd. Yeah. Understand that when the Broward School District released the redacted report, their thing was like, hey, this is great. We did a great job. And the reason they did that is because the redacted information hid the fact that they were incompetent. And once that was shown, then suddenly they got the vapors. Suddenly the school board was like, oh, yeah. hey, judge, they violated your order. Maybe you should do a contempt order. You know, the Sun Sentinel, which endorsed some of the candidates for school board who are on the school board for re-election, they should re rescind their endorsements because they are now supporting people who support suing the press for telling the public the truth in accordance with the First Amendment. That's absurd. All right, before we run out of time, I think we at least need to mention the fact that the Pinellas County State Attorney this week filed manslaughter charges against Michael Drecha in this uh, horrific killing of uh, uh, Marquise McLaughlin. And that finally, I, I, I think Melba, people have been waiting for the state attorney to finally do this. It took a couple of weeks, but he finally did. Yes, that's correct. I mean, I'm a little disappointed with the level of charge because as a former prosecutor, this is a second degree murder all day long. If you look at the video, it's clear that the defendant acted because he was mad that he was pushed down, not that he was acting because he was in fear. That's heat of passion, that's second degree murder. Be that as it may, I'm satisfied that charges were filed because too many times under this flawed stand your ground law, if the shooter is white and the victim is a person of color, too often the shooter escapes all and, accountability and, and that's not the case here. Right. So and I'm satisfied every, with that. Excuse me, as everybody should know, the shooter is white, the victim uh, Correct. was black. And Correct. stand your ground, again, bubbled to the forefront. I mean, stand your ground is a Florida law used a lot. Nelson, I think it, it, the, the law as a defense mechanism seems legit it's how it's applied in florida that just really has been an that's 100 percent right? accurate yeah. it, it is a good law if someone is chasing me with a baseball bat and i have a gun i ought to be able to defend myself right that's not clearly not what happened in this video or what happened in this yeah. case but the law is, is is a good law i think it works well when applied well, well and the problem is it's not being applied well <laughs> problem right. well that's the, on that and the next governor and legislature may do something they right, though. Mark, <laughs> Melba, Nelson, great to have you come in. Thanks so much. Very, Michael great, and very good around.